Father. Hi, and welcome to uh, the 34th episode of Season 2 of High and Wide Radio. Here to talk Flyers hockey, as always, I'm Jim, along with Jack and Kyle. And not only do we have three more wins and a second-place Flyers team to talk about in this episode, we also have not one, but two special guests appearing on the show tonight. With us now is the one and only Dan Silver. Dan, how's it going, buddy? It's great. What's up, guys? A yeah, lot of maybe. positive stuff to talk positivity, about. Guys. Positivity, positivity. Flyers <laughs> yeah. have won the Stanley Cup. Everyone's celebrating <laughs> yeah. in the streets. First team to ever win the cup in March, right? They gave it out second intermission in the Rangers game. It was <laughs> yeah. just so exciting. I'm just woo. I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm sure by now you guys have seen all the uh, the the betting sites and the uh, the money puck and all that stuff coming out. Yeah, 97.5 briefly mentioned them. Even that was nice. Did they really? <laughs> yeah, he got Leigh uh name wrong. He got destroyed for it. Do you guys put any stock into this, uh, the, the betting sites and whatnot? God, no. Not that site. <laughs> any, but, listen, any site that's got the Flyers as the favorite to win the Cup, you're not putting any stock in it. Because <laughs> trust me, if you go out to Vegas, the Flyers aren't the, the favorites to win the Cup. You're talking about Tampa. You're talking about Boston. You're talking about St. Louis. Maybe a little Vegas because the West is a complete joke. But, you know, it's nice to see. But, I, I, I mean, the Flyers are not the favorite to win the Cup right now. No, and those are the ones, the, the Vegas ones are the ones you really want to pay attention to because, you know, you got to follow the money there. They know what they're doing out there. Um, as I mentioned, we have two guests tonight. Jason Martitas of the now Flyers Broadcasting Network will be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, before uh, before that, guys, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Flyers. Uh, and I want to start off by asking, uh, Dan, I think I already know your answer here, but are you 100% on board with, or, or 100% invested with this team? Are they going to you know, make a deep playoff run? Are they going to possibly win the Metro? Where's your mind at with this team? Well, yeah, they definitely can win the Metro. I mean, what are their three points out right now? They're they're playing the Caps on Wednesday. If they win that game, they're only one point out. The Penguins are flailing. Like they could definitely win the Metro. I mean, here's the thing though: it's still, you know, it's still very hard in today's modern day NHL to win one playoff series. And if if you know if you don't believe me, just ask Maple Leafs fans. I mean, it's it's this is a the bottom line is this is a very good hockey team. Something flipped with this team maybe like 15, 20 games ago, where instead of the roller coaster up and down, you never know what you're going to get. They've been playing, they come out and you like never have a doubt that this team's going to win these games. I mean, they're just playing so solidly team hockey, great defensive hockey. It's just like, it's, it's like you can sense something from the players that it's, it's more of a relaxed feel. Like they know they're really good. They believe it. They're buying in. And so I think that, 
this team has a ton of potential this year. It wouldn't surprise me if this team gets to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe gets to the Cup. My timeline before the season was I thought this year they were going to make the playoffs and maybe win around. And I truly, I'll be next year, I'll be betting this team to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I next year is the year that like everything should come together. The young kids keep getting better. It's like the older guys, maybe it's like the last hurrah for Giroux and Voracek. Like, next year, I'm, you know, I think they could win the cup. This year, they're playing so well. They keep playing like this. Sure, they can win the cup. But hey, if they, face the Penguins in the first round and they lose in seven, like, you know, it might not be a complete disgrace. I mean, we're all going to be pissed off, but, but they're the bottom line is this team is like very good right now. A hundred percent agree. I mean, if, actually, before I give my response, I, I want to hear from Kyle and Jack here and, and Jack, I kind of want to get to you last. Cause I'm curious uh, to hear your answer, but Kyle, what are your thoughts on this team on a scale of, I don't know, one to flyers are going to win the Stanley cup. How amped up are you for a deep run, or can this team win the division? They can absolutely win the division with Washington struggling a little bit, and the Penguins are, I don't know what the fuck the Penguins are doing. They're taking a page out of the Flyers book on their West Coast trip here. They can absolutely win the division. They can absolutely win a couple rounds, but as Dan alluded to, once you get into the playoffs, it is a whole different animal to win a playoff series, and it and a lot comes down to the matchup, and I really don't like the Islanders hanging around down in these wild card spots as we may take first into the Metro because that's a matchup I don't want to see in the first round for the Flyers. But honestly, I'm pumped. I'm in, I'm enjoying the ride as uh, we go along on this little uh, journey here that no <laughs> none of us expected us to be on. But uh, I, you know, hope for the best, and whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and Jack, I saved you for last year because I know like throughout the course of the year, we've kind of talked about that, you know, cautious optimism. And, you know, we, we had kind of one foot in most of the year. How do you feel now? I mean, I'm completely on board. I mean, it feel, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, I mean, it feel and you know me, I'm, the, I'm like the I'm there the whole season, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to derail the train because I get, uh, you know, I'll been out of shape and this is like i'm a full believer and a lot of that has to do kind of what dan was saying with the it's like the team chemistry is just so different and the first player who really comes to mind and i've i've asked this a couple of times and like have we has any philadelphia team in the last 10 15 years signed the free agent that had, had this big of an impact his first season and this is on and off the ice which I think has affected this team and Kevin Hayes' overall play. It's just, I can't believe he's been this good. And it's just, you just see everything else stem from that. Everybody seems to be playing better. I used to kill Voracek. Now I'm out there like defending him and nobody's even attacking him. You know, four assists the one night, two the other night. Like, it's just, there's so much good with this team. And it's like, I try to be like, Last podcast, I was like, if it's going to get derailed, I think we're going to have an issue with goaltending. And then Carter Hart has two pretty solid performances. You know, his road records had a couple of wins as well there. It's like, what's there to hate right now? They're on they're on fire. They're great. I feel like we're playing with house money. Yeah, I'm not going to say they're going to win the cup, but, like, I was kind of where Dan was. Well, I, we'll be a, a playoff bubble team. We should make it considering the additions we made. Uh, but then when things came out about Nolan Patrick and Lynn Blom, you kind of temper your expectations. But despite all that shit, they're still winning. And then you saw how well Grant played against the Rangers. And the Rangers were hot. 
They were hot coming in. They hadn't lost a road game in like, what, eight or nine games? And then we are clearly the better team in both of those games. Like, those are statement games. Like, I know the Rangers aren't really a playoff team, but they were playing pretty damn hot. And it's just like, if they come in and they beat Washington in regulation in Washington, I'm going to lose my shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope you do, honestly, because this is fun. You know, I don't want to... I'm not going to get negative at all on this show, but you guys are on Twitter and you've kind of seen, I don't even know if you want to call it fan policing and whatnot. Um, And it's not even really negativity, but you know, there's guys out there who, you know, need to say, I told you so at some point and whatnot. And, you know, they're kind of trying to tell everyone to calm down and Stanley cups, not till June, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just here like, dude, get fucking excited. Like how long have we waited to just be excited for excited for something, right? Like it's okay to be excited. If you're let down, in uh, May, June, it's a fucking good thing because it means you were looking forward to something and it didn't happen. You know what I mean? I would rather look forward to something than sit here in April with my thumb up, um, my thumb in my ass for, you know, watching another playoffs with the Flyers not in it. Like, I'm excited. I'm, I'm fired up. There's good you know, things Jim, coming you know with this team. this team reminds me of? They kind of remind me of the 07 Phillies who, like, okay. towards the end of the season went on that run. I mean, they got bounced in the first round pretty embarrassingly, but, like, they were on. They were pretty hot, and they were above ex- exceeding all expectations. Yeah. And it, I that was the first time in a long time in Philly's history, outside of one player being ridiculous. Like I was all on board, and I, I mean, be excited as you want, man. This is the first time I can't tell you how many years that when they make the playoffs, not only could they have home ice for the first round, but yeah. they have a legitimate shot at winning it. And if they do lose. I seriously doubt they get embarrassed like they have in years past, where before we were just hoping to make the playoffs and hoping for some kind of magic that we knew wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You remember what happened the year after the 2007 Phillies, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm alluding to, baby. It's fucking coming, guys. It really is. And this is the the feeling. Like, watching the Phillies, watching the Eagles. Like, you know when there's something special brewing with the team. You just know it because – Things go their way. They go the way they're supposed to go. And I'm not trying to jinx anything, but that's what's kind of happening. That's what's kind of happening with the Flyers a little bit. Like, they haven't had Nolan Patrick all season long. That They were supposed to be one of their core centers, core um, pieces of this team. Haven't had him all year. They've overcome that. They lost Oscar Lindblom a couple weeks into the season to cancer. The locker room has overcome that. And they've continued to push forward. They could have easily sank. They got beat up out west. They came back, and I think they're like something like 16, 5, and 2, something like that. They've, they've played very, very well since that West Coast trip. They could, have, they could have folded so many times this year, and they haven't. They've improved steadily. And I think with good teams and potentially, you know, uh, division champion teams, uh, Eastern Conference championship teams, that's what you want to see. You want to see them continue to press forward, and can they, they face adversity, and they overcome it. I mean, the Lindblom thing, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely, it's a tragic event. We hope he gets better. Hopefully one day he can play again. But I think it was a a real opportunity for this team to grow. And they've chosen to to use it in a good way instead of, oh my God, Oscar Lindblom's gone to, excuse me, gone to cancer. Like the season's going to go to shit. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with this team. I really, really am. Um. Go ahead. Guys have stepped up, man. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, say, you know, Farabee's one of them. I mean, you know, he's been hot and cold, but he has definitely stepped up. Guys like Scott Lawton are like 
they're exceeding expectations. Oh, Pitlick yeah. was a good pickup. I mean, well, Grant, I've loved what I've seen so far. It's very early, very small sample size. You've seen what Niskanen's pickup has done for this team, this defense. And I've already gushed all over Kevin Hayes and him being amazing in every zone and then off the ice as well. Like they're actually having fun. They actually enjoy coming to work every day and it's starting to really show and everybody's starting to shine. It's really coming together. And like I said, if they can keep rolling and keep knocking off not only good teams, but division teams and to be doing what we're doing and coming up to standings in this division is truly impressive. Like we're beating teams that we need to beat that are good teams. Meanwhile, the teams who made all the moves at the deadline are losing to LA and, you know, Anaheim and shit. Hey, real quick, Ilya Kovalchuk has not scored a goal since being traded to the Capitals. But he did pick up his first uh, sec- uh, uh, assist. It was a secondary assist, too. <laughs> Derek, Grant, Derek Grant has more points since the trade deadline than Ilya Kovalchuk. Pretty, and it's just cool. I'm not busting anybody's balls. I'm just saying. Flyers did pretty good at the trade deadline, I think. Um, if you guys want to go over some of these games real quick, they played the Sharks at the beginning of the week. What was the final score in that game? Was it 4-2? 5-2. Does anybody remember off the top of the head? Four t- I think that was 4-2. Let me go back. I got Sharks it. game was 4-2, yeah. Yeah. They were, okay. they were up like, what, 4-1 at one point, and Sharks had a little bit of a push. Yeah. I um, mean, okay. they just looked like the better team, and they're taking care of business. Like, it was a little rough at first, but that's been their thing. And I wouldn't even call it a slow start. They're just – I think – is that the game where they scored that first goal, and then, like – I can't remember what game it was. They, they fell apart for a minute, but then got their shit back together. Um uh, maybe that was Winnipeg. I'm no, I sure. think that was it. Yeah, they scored first, and then they kind of went into like they a gave lull up two for goals, like the right? next five, ten. Uh, I don't they know. They gave if up they... one, one goal. They gave up. It was so funny that against the Sharks, the, the game earlier this season where they got embarrassed, they gave up first NHL career goals for two different guys, and That's none right. of none of those guys had scored again since that game, which was in like December. And one of them, Joel Kelman, scored again in the game against <laughs> the Flyers. And uh, it was 1-1, but then the Flyers took control in the second period. Kevin Hayes with his first of his two goals in that game to lead off the second period. He was Yeah, there you go. I see. Yeah, it was like they came out hot, had that, oh, just the power play. And then it's like they just went to sleep. But then they came around in the second period, and just Kevin Hayes, man. Like, he had two goals in that game. Konechny got back on the board. I mean, it's just insane how they've just come. They're just a better team. They take care of business. They're clearly the better team than who they play against and almost every facet of the game. And meanwhile, you're watching them do what they're doing, and then you're scoreboard watching, which I said on Twitter is something I haven't done in a long time, uh, at least legitimately. And I'm watching Pittsburgh lose 5 nothing to Anaheim. Like, <laughs> what the hell is that? Like, It's great. And then the Sharks blew them out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just I've seen this stat where all the teams that have made uh, moves since the trade deadline, this is a couple of days ago, so it's a little dated, but they're like 2-8-4. and four. So it, it's probably now like 4-10-5, but it's terrible. As the Pittsburgh, Flyers made well, some moves, though. I mean... Well, for the big names, I mean, like yeah. uh, the Pajos, the Mar- uh, the Zucker, the you know Vatnins, all those. Pretty much everybody else in the Metro, basically. Vinny Trocek. Yeah, exactly. And... That's a testament to Fletcher, what we heard about him asking the team how he felt about like who, what they should add and all that. He believes in this team, just like we are now. And that's why the, the moves he made were not groundbreaking. They were tweaks. And since the trade deadline, we look great, and the other teams are floundering. The, the Penguins, Canes, and Islanders didn't win a game this week. Not one. They went 0-3. 
The Islanders, mm-hmm. I think they got a point. They went 0-2-1. But those three teams, they all made, you know, fancy moves. Neither, None of those teams won a game this week. Pretty insane. Especially considering who they played. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I watched a couple of those Penguins games, and we're a little off topic here, but this the way to beat them, do you guys remember when the Flyers played them in the playoffs uh, back in 2012, I think? And it seemed like whenever the Flyers played the Pens, they were kind of trying to get under their skin and whatnot. That's what these, oh, yeah. these heavier teams were doing to them out west, the Ducks and the Sharks. They were off their game, man. They were turning into those, the dirty pricks from eight years ago, the Penguins. They, they weren't playing the way that they play the Flyers today, that's for sure. Getzlaff was in Crosby's face every time there was a scrum and whatnot. I, I think that's still the way to play the Penguins, but you just, I mean, you just have to look out because there's some dirty fucks on that team, man, for real. You get that right. I watched a couple uh, of the Penguins games from out west, and I'll tell you who looks really rough. Tristan Jerry. Yeah. Oh. He's letting in some bad goals. Like, it's not even a question of – um, it bounced or deflected or anything like that. There was just some bad goals let in by that goaltending. I mean, he was probably the reason early in the season that team was playing so well. Was yeah. He was playing way above his head, and Brian Rust was playing like one of the top five players in the league. And both those guys have really dropped off the last month and a half. And that's, that's a problem for those guys, especially the goaltending. I didn't think Matt Murray's looked so hot. You know, he was terrible to start the year out, and then he kind of played – pretty well in like late January, mid February, but like he, he has not looked great either. I mean, if that team's goaltending is, is, is not going to, you know, going to, going to bail them out for the rest of the season, they're, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Their defense is not that great to begin with. And they got a couple guys out to injury. I think John Marino and Brian Dumoulin, I, I think they're close to coming back, but they've been pretty beat up. They, I mean, same, same with the, the caps. Like I was surprised with the, the moves the penguins made at the trade deadline. Like, I mean, I guess the Capitals added D and Brendan Dillon. I, I didn't think they needed a guy like Kovalchuk, but, you know, they added him. The Penguins didn't add anything to, to their defense, you know. And then if the goalies are, you know, leaky now, like Kyle pointed out, these teams have holes and they can be exposed. Whereas if you look up and down the Flyers roster, and I'm not saying they're unbeatable or anything like that, um, Carter Hart seems to be rounding into form here lately. 0.929 save percentage in February. Um Looks sharp. I mean, like I said, we're not really talking about him that much because of the play in front of him. Um, and the Flyers are, I think they're the best in the league with uh, the least amount of shots on goal per game. So that absolutely helps. But that save percentage speaks to the way Carter Hart's been playing. And, you know, if, if he can catch fire for another month or two, look out, man. Like, for real. There, there's a, This team can make some noise, and I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I actually agree with you. That's just it. And it was funny listening to Voracek. Uh, I don't know if it was the first Rangers game or the second. I think it was second intermission. But Brian Boucher asked him about uh, – it had to be the second game because the power play scored like three goals. So it had to have been that one. And he's like, yeah, so anything different, Jake? You know, he goes, oh, we got moved back to our original positions. We've been playing for nine years together. And I just kind of <laughs> clicked. I just started laughing. I was just like, yeah, yeah, no, who, th- who saw that coming? But either way – we the issues we had coming in along the season for as good as they were playing was like the power play's got to get back on track and you know maybe the goaltending's a little bit steadier and I've seen both of those things have obviously happened and now they're the hottest team in hockey right now. You know you look at what because the topic came up today there was an interview on the Athletic about uh, Ron Hextall a piece about him mm. so it was kind of like a lot of stuff today about Hextall. You look at the moves in the last calendar year that Chuck Fletcher has made 
And he's literally had more successful acquisitions in one year than Ron Hextall had in five years. When you talk <laughs> about, I mean, honestly, if you, you could just say Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskanen, and that would be more successful than any of the guys that Hextall brought in. But he also brought in Justin Braun, who's been terrific with Robert Haig on that third pairing. And then these ads, at the, at the, at, well, Tyler Pittman also last summer, like he's been phenomenal, much better than I thought he was going to be. And Grant has looked, you know, after the first game when he was jet lagged, he's looked really good. And Nate Thompson's a fourth line center. Like, hey, if it doesn't work out, you bring up Bunham again or something like that. But the, the moves that Fletcher and even re-signing Brian Allen, like he just, it seems like he has s- such a better finesse and such a better touch with these guys that he's bringing in to kind of like complete the rest of the team. It's just, it's, it's very impressive what Fletcher's done. He seems to have the Midas touch. I mean, it's it's unreal. Like every, I can't think of like a move. Even Vigneault was. I mean, not that that was like a you know a sneaky move or anything. But like, I mean, I love Vigneault. I love how this team is structured. I love seeing him behind the bench. Like it's just like we have a. And that's one thing on Hextall. One serious knock on Hextall was fucking Hextall. Like come on. Like when's enough enough? And seeing a legitimate coach behind the bench is just like refreshing. And you can literally see on the ice the difference and then you go along with the little tweaks and the moves and then kevin hayes signing and all that and it's like what it's like the the pieces are the core pieces are still essentially the same but you actually give them something around them and it's like oh wow what do you know jake can be an assist machine again like uh this guy you know connectney can break out and take more chances and our pk the team doesn't go into a depression when they get scored on the pk because they're not getting scored on the pk because they're phenomenal and they're actually getting scoring chances scoring shorthanded goals i don't think we had a shorthanded goal in like five years with hackstall being dramatic <laughs> but you know like it's, it's it's amazing you know and i guess that's fletcher's he's always had that you know i've seen it with the wild that uh go for it attitude where hackstall was building for 2030 and that was the difference Kyle, what do you do you think kevin hayes was like the perfect medicine for that locker room and do you think a gm looks for that when acquiring a player like not just not just skill but personality wise for a locker room i mean personality wise he fits perfectly and i mean it says a lot when a guy fits in the locker room so well his first year especially with the adversity they had to deal with so i mean you lose nolan patrick for the whole year and obviously that's not too detrimental on the team because he's okay like you know okay nolan patrick's not gonna die then you lose then you lose Oscar Lindblom. And now this is a tricky one because that can really destroy a locker room. Or you have some guys like Kevin Hayes and some of the other vets that turn it and go, All right, this is what we're playing for now. Yeah. I mean, that's just how I took it. And they didn't have that last year. They did not have that last year. The crazy 100%. part, when they when they signed Hayes, a lot of us like, you know, we wanted that center, and we when they traded for him, we were pretty much all on board. We were just couldn't wait to find out the contract, and then we had some some issues with that. But a lot of what came out with, about Kevin Hayes was, oh man, I heard he can be lazy at times. Uh, he only came here. He, I'll go only to Philly if they pay me the most money or whatever. And it's just like I heard him on spitting chicklets, and his, he loves this team as much as they love having him and his personality around. It's almost like. I don't know if that would have happened somewhere else. I don't know if he would have signed somewhere else. This would have happened. I think he found the 
perfect storm. And Vigneault has a lot to do with this as well. I think Hayes was their target because Vigneault was our coach. Uh, I've heard uh, jokingly that uh, Kevin Hayes was a wedding gift to Vigneault because we just, you know, he's our coach. And God damn it, did it has it worked out on and off the ice? Yeah, and Dan, I'm going to ask you the same question about Hayes. Like, obviously, Vigneault knew him before he, he ended up being coach of the Flyers. But, you know, obviously, Hayes brings things. Uh, he brings, it. Uh, you know, his, his game to the ice. But locker room-wise, at least from my perspective, this team has kind of been dry personality-wise in the last couple of years. You know, they're, they're hard for me to like, uh, hard for me to really watch. And a guy like Kevin Hayes, you know, kind of comes in and, you know, eases the tension in the locker room after losses, gets everybody excited after wins. You know, he's just kind of like the straw that's stirring everything together right now. What, what is, what do you see with Kevin Hayes? So, you know, it's interesting. Like you, you, you touched on, you've got kind of these older players that let's talk about the talented guys on the team, because as much as you want to talk about like a whatever, like the fourth liners who you say can improve the locker room. I really think that all that stuff kind of has to come from the most talented guys on the team. Right. So Jeru Couturier, Voracek, JVR, those guys are, they're a little dry, right? Voracek's not dry. I mean, he's hilarious, but he's also kind of like, I don't know. He's kind of like a, yeah, he's dickish. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got, you've got those guys, those four forwards who are kind of like the core of the team. And then there's some young guys coming up and they're not going to step into that role. But here's, and I'm not going to stop at Kevin Hayes. I think it's Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskanen because Niskanen's been on the top pair. He's been phenomenal. And I'm not going to pretend to know what goes on in that locker room, right? Like just to a, a mini side rant, like Chris Stewart, Every interview I saw with that guy and people are talking about how good he's in the locker room. I got to tell you, I've played on sports teams. I played in college. Like that guy's annoying as fuck. Like (laughs) seriously, if Chris Stewart was in the locker room with me, I'd be like, fuck this dude. He's really annoying. Like I just want him to shut up. Maybe he's a good, maybe he's a good influence on these players. Maybe not. But like, I think that there's, whenever someone says, oh, that guy's good in the locker room. I don't even know what that means quite honestly. But what I'm going to say is that like, Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskanen, because they're both older and they're both very good hockey players, I think that unlike the young guys, they could have they could come in and kind of like slide in with the Giroux, with the Couturier, with the Voracek, and kind of become leaders like that. And having two fresh faces to fill that role and guys that by all accounts are loved in the locker room. Hayes is kind of like an older version of Travis Connecting. Like they're both really goofy. Like, I don't know if the guys respect Hayes. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But he's definitely the fans love him. Niskanen is clearly a guy that, like, all of these hockey players have super respect for. I mean, he's played on the Caps. He's played on the Penguins. He's won multiple cups. So for all I know, like, his locker room cohesion ability is better than Hayes. I don't know. I know that Hayes is hilarious, and I love everything I see in the locker room. I don't know how these guys actually feel about him. They probably love him. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But all I know is I think that Hayes and Niskanen are guys that have changed the tone in the locker room a little bit and with some of the younger guys. And I think that's been like a resounding success. Absolutely. 100%. Now, I think that was well said, especially because um, in the Hexall era, how up everything was, you know, no eating bad food, no alumni, all that, you know, don't talk to anybody, all that crap. And then to be so loose and goofy but at the same time you have respect you we replaced mcdonald with 
Niskanen, essentially. I mean, he's the older vet now. Like, what a massive difference on on the defense there. Uh, and with a vet in the locker room who's actually done something, and then you have the up the, the loose guy and Hayes, and ultimately on the ice, both of their play is phenomenal. So I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's like the perfect storm is what it feels like. Yeah, things are coming together. Things are looking good for the Flyers. Um, we have some more topics to get to, but before we get to them, we're going to run a quick ad. We're going to have Jason Martinez coming on the show on the other side. So give us a minute, and we'll be right back, guys. Okay, we're back with the King, Jason Martinez from the Flyers Broadcasting Network. Jason, welcome back to the show, man. How are you? The King clearly used that term very loosely. That's the first time I ever called somebody the King, so you should feel honored. After after Lungfist performance this weekend, I'm not that honored, to be honest with you. If he's <laughs> well, he, the King, then what the fuck? I after think he's that grant goal, I feel the same way. He's like on his way out, man. He's like, uh, what do they call the King on their way out? I don't know, but he's gone. He's been yeah, out. He's, he's out. Yeah, he's gone. He's being <laughs> dethroned as we speak. Give him the milk of the poppy. He's out. Well, uh, that's from Game of Thrones, right? Nailed yes. it. Okay, I thought I was going to lose you there for a second, but you got it. Nah, I, I remembered. I remembered. I haven't. I haven't been hit in the head that many times. Um. So we were talking about before the break. We were talking about the acquisition of Kevin Hayes and what he's meant to this team, and not just the team on the ice, but uh, inside the locker room, Jace, where you you see obviously more than any of us, um, what has he meant to this team in terms of you know team chemistry and whatnot? Um, we talked about the last couple of years how the team's been sort of vanilla-ish, at least you know from what we see, and he's kind of brought a different flair. Do you see that as well? Yeah, I mean he's got a huge personality, as everybody knows. It's weird because he's like two guys behind the scenes. He's I call him a fraternity with two legs. Like he's like an animal house. Like he's Belushi's character, you know, he's like the definition of a mass hole. You know, like what you say about like new England people, like they're just so loud with that God awful accent. And you know, that's him though. He fills up a room, um, which is cool because I think what it does, I actually talked to Sean Couturier about this and what it does is allows guys that don't like to talk a whole heck of a lot allows them not to because he does so much of that and always dominates a room that he's in with his personality. So I think it's a relief to guys like Couturier who's like, dude, I just want to fucking go and play hockey. Like, I, I don't need to be crazy or anything like that. But so that part of it. And yeah, he, he's just added a whole different flair. Like he's having the time of his life. Like he connected with this group right away. I don't know if you heard him on Chicklets, but he was like, dude, I love these guys. Like there's I'm having so much fun and you can see it. Like, just a bunch of new personalities for him to be with, guys that he respects the way they play, like, you know, Couturier, obviously, and Giroux, and Voracek, and Van Riemsdyk, veteran guys. But he likes these young guys, too, like Konechny, and it's really cool to see because um, he's added a dynamic to the locker room. He said, like, vanilla before, and I don't know if it was vanilla, but with success and his personality, Mm. like, his personality on a losing team would be annoying, but his, his personality on a winning team is nothing but fun, and that's what they're doing right now. So it's a perfect combination. Uh, let me ask you: Do you think, as a as a general manager, and obviously Elaine Vigneault was brought in as a coach, do you think they brought him in knowing what his personality would be like in the locker room, or you know they just brought him in because of what he'd do on the ice? No, I think it was calculated. I think it was I think it was three things. I think it was obviously what he can do on the ice. They needed another centerman. 
because Nolan Patrick wasn't ready to be a 2C a, a yet. Um, and I think they saw it as, well, he'll be a 2C for three, two, three years, and then he can move into the 3C role where he'll be more suited in his later years. Um, that was number one. Number two was, you know, to penalty kill and, and give them more, you know, a big body on the PK, which, you know, you have Katuri out there one time, then you have another big body and a centerman and a guy like Kevin Hayes. It'll help there. Um, I think the other thing was that he's a guy that played for Vino and could help crack the code for other players on what it was like to deal with Vino day in and day out and learn how to play his system. It's almost like it was a coach role as well. And then the other part of it is, yeah, they knew Vino knew exactly the player he was getting. And I think that he went to Chuck Fletcher and was like, this is the guy we need to target. And I, and I think Chuck was like, look, we do. We need another center. And like it was a perfect fit. But I guarantee that name was a name they talked about when they were talking to Vino about taking over as the coach of this team. Hmm. Perfect. Both have been perfect fits. I mean, what do you think guys? I, uh, you, you heard my rant. Like I'm, it, it couldn't be better. And I, I had brought up chicklets. That's where I had originally heard it. Cause he also addressed some of the um, flack he got for the quote unquote, uh, I'll only play for the flyers if they overpay. And that kind of led into how he just loves this team. And it's just been a two way street with him coming in and, him meshing with them and then to play on the ice. And, you know, I also said that it was kind of like a, I heard this elsewhere, uh, a wedding gift for Vigneault from Fletcher. Like you're my head coach and here's your guy. And they did need a center and a penalty killer. And it's just like, everything's checked all the boxes and it's, it worked out better than I think anybody could have imagined. Yeah, I totally agree. The other part of it, like to go back to what you were talking about, that report where it was, I'm only going to play there if they overpay me. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You're a free agent for the first time. They traded for your rights. They obviously want you. Mm-hmm. And and I know that report was from Frank, and, and, and I messaged Frank when he put that out because I had information that was to the contrary, that not to the contrary, but that he wasn't where somebody said he was to get that information. Therefore, I think that Frank got that information secondhand. It was, it was kind of reported like he heard it from Hayes, in a bar around the cup final in Boston, but Hayes wasn't in Boston at that time. He was actually in Philadelphia, which was a report that I put out. So Frank and I kind of went back and forth on that. But um, so I think that he may have gotten that information secondhand. Cause I don't think Frank reports things that just aren't true that he didn't hear. He just doesn't make things up. So, but I mean, that's deductive reasoning though. No shit. You're gonna have to overpay a guy going into free agency. That's what free agency is. Guys getting way fucking overpaid. That's why you can't build a team through free agency because <laughs> you overpay everybody. It's the silly season. Yeah. And if the way this contract's looking, if this, if the Flyers win a cup, you know, in the next, I don't know, it looks like they could even have a path this year. And we'll get to that. Um, but if they win the cup, you know, even one time in the next three years, no matter how bad that contract is, I'll die happy. I won't give a shit how bad that contract is if they win the Stanley Cup. Um, yeah. I still don't love the contract, but yeah. But but look, here's the deal. You you sometimes you have to have a player on your roster that you overpay for because he fills a need and checks a box. And it just so happens that Hayes happens to fill the need of two C. He helps you on the PK and he's a huge presence in the room. So while from a hockey and number standpoint, yeah, it's an overpayment and you may you may pay a price in the last two years of that deal. But also look, look at this league. Every team has guys like that. Like Boston had David Backus. They were able to ship that contract out. Sometimes you got to sell a bad contract for a number one pick. Like yeah. that, that's what they did. Anaheim bought that number one pick from Boston. 
And they got back a pretty okay player in the return as well. Yeah. Kashi, yeah. whatever the hell his name is. Andre Kashi, yeah. <clears throat> um, another important player on the Flyers who, you know, I don't want to say that. I'll speak for myself here. You know, I wasn't necessarily getting on him the way that I was getting on, let's say, a Jake Voracek in the beginning of the year. But Claude Giroux, I think, for me, had sort of a slow start and, you know, didn't really come around until the last two weeks. And he came around at the right time because it's the most, imp- at least offensively, during the most important stretch of the year where he went uh, seven games and recorded four goals and eight assists. I mean, for the captain to step up the way he has in the most important games of the year has me really juiced up. Like I like, and it looks like maybe the rest of the team's feeding off him. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever he scores a goal, like I get like I shiver. Like I fucking love when Claude Giroux scores. I mean, uh, had two it's goals the other right? night. Yeah, like there's something about yeah. it. It's like I know I'm fucking good, and I just scored on you. Like what are you gonna do about it? Especially when he blasts it and you hear it clank off the post. Yeah, I fucking love it. There's like a, it puts like a, some authority. Every time he scores, it's like boom. It's like a big goal. Um, really stepped up in the last two weeks. And I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the captain. Uh, we, Dan, we can start with you first, man. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. He He's a guy who, to me, he almost looked like he was hampered, like, by he, he, his lack of explosiveness and lack of skating, to me, a couple months back, looked almost like the same when he was dealing with what we then knew was, like, something he needed core surgery for. And it took him some time to recover. And he's not... He's certainly not burning anymore, but it, the way that he's picked up his play recently, I mean, a lot of it has to do with how good that top line has been, is you start wondering, like, these, the guys who are vets like him, h- how much is it that they just kind of, not assume, but they they kind of in their heart of hearts think that this team's going to make the playoffs, and they know that they can't play all out 82 games a season, 20 minutes a game, and, you know, they're kind of seeing guys like Konechny and some of the younger guys carry the team early on and how much of it is that these guys know that they can kind of now they know hey there's 20 games left in the regular season and can can pour it on a little bit I, I'm not sure I mean it's it's an interesting case study with Giroux he's been so good recently and a lot of it has to do with how good that top power play unit has been but you know it certainly looks like it's uh, full speed ahead for him the final few months of the season here yeah, I, mean, I, I actually, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I know what you're talking about where it seemed there were times where it's like he was, it looked like he didn't have it. Um, and obviously he's picked it back up. But I think that's a, it shows the depth of this team where you have your games where Giroux can score two goals and have you have a three-point night. But then you have your games where the top two lines don't do anything. And, you know, Scott Lawton's got two goals and Raffles got a goal and Pitlick's got a goal. Like, it, I think that's why this team has been on this absolute winning streak. And I think that revitalizes some of the uh, older guys, Drew in particular. Now he's just ripping shots. I saw the power play against the Rangers. I don't even know if they scored on it. He shook like four of the same shots from the same location in a row. Like, when's the last time Drew's done that? Like, this is a pass first team, and he's just ripping slap shots, not even moving his position. Like, it's just, I just think the depth leads a long way, and the entire team is completely revitalized. That was that last power play in the game yesterday. Yeah. He just sat there in that spot and was just bombing clappers, yeah. getting fed from, from the point. You're right. He did it like four times. What Dan said, I think you're dead right, Dan, because I think I think a lot of us saw it in the beginning of the year. You know, he'd come through the neutral zone and he would almost look behind him because he was waiting for the back pressure to come because he didn't feel great in his skating. Look, Drew's never been a great skater. I mean, 
it looks like he's on a rocking chair, <laughs> the way he skates a little he bit, does, you know, yeah. almost like leaning backwards and yeah, he's straight up. Yeah. And you, and you almost like there was a lack of explosiveness. Now, the other part of it, too, is that he was bopping back and forth from the wing to center to this to that while Elaine Vino was throwing every combination of forwards and defensive pairings and five man units under the sun out there. Now, why was Vino doing that? And I, asked, I had a chance to ask him. And part of the reason was, you know, he had to find out which guys on this team could play the way he wanted, number one. And he had to find out what who they had to play with to play the way he wanted. So he had to stick everything in a blender. And anytime something didn't go right for three shifts, he would change it up. But that was calculated so he could get a lot of stuff on tape and he could look at who could play with who to do exactly what they wanted. And now, and now you see here three quarters of the way through the season. Now he knows the combinations. And I've talked to Chuck Fletcher about this. I mean, anytime there's an open spot on the wing with Sean Couturier, there's got to be a fucking line out his door going, can I get on that fucking line? Because <laughs> you guys could jump on that wing and score a couple of goals. The guy yeah. is so good. I mean, I don't know if people even realize how good he is. I think he's a top three five-on-five player in the NHL. Mike Milbury clearly doesn't understand how. <laughs> well, Dan, I, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because I, I wanted to talk about that, that little uh, exchange with Keith Jones. Not that I think Mike Milbury is a uh, an authority to speak about the Flyers, but what did you think about that where Jonesy said uh, Coots was uh, their top guy and he throws in Jake. Not that I dislike Jake and he's been playing so great lately, but, I, I mean, for me it's easily Coots. But wh- what did you think about that? Jason. Yeah, there's whole yeah. But yeah, good go Jason. Right, Jason Dan. Uh, well, look. <laughs> I, I, here's here's the way I think it worked was Milbury doesn't play pay close enough attention to the Flyers and now he has to start to. So what he did was he looked at his last 5 games. He looked he looked at the fact they're playing the Rangers again and got Voracek on Friday had four assists. So it was like the easy layup like I'm not going to do my homework. I'll just look and see what he did in the last game against the Rangers 2 days ago and I'll say he was the most important cuz he had four assists in the game. So that's just Milbury. And then and then the other part of it is Milbury just wants to get people talking about him, which he's managed to do again by saying something idiotic. He's got a little Skip Bayless to him, yeah. Yeah. And, Dan, your thoughts on the same? No, it's the same thing. I mean, look, Milbury is – he covers the entire league. His opinions on the entire league aren't that good to start with when you want to try and pin him down to a specific team – and he's trying to have contrarian opinions with Keith Jones. I mean, the whole thing was just hilarious, but obviously it's a, it's a terrible opinion. I mean, I think the only person that you could argue is, is as much of an impact as Couturier is, is Provorov, at least this year, but it's still not even close. I mean, Couturier is a monster. I mean, he is just, he goes out there and he's, he, he game against the Avalanche and what he does with the McKinnon line. I mean, he's just, he's a freaking monster against Boston. You see what he can do against the top line there. I mean, he's, he's in my eyes, he's so far and away the most valuable player on this team that it's, it's just silly. I mean, if he's a guy that if you took him out of this lineup, it's obviously a completely different story from a matchup perspective, but, um, but yeah, no, it was a laughable comment and he's, he's, he, he he's been incredible this season. I mean, I think just, Provorov, as much of a, a rock as he is, is another guy that if you took out of the lineup, that impact is just going to reverberate. But it's coots in a landslide for me. I couldn't agree more. I was trying to think of devil's advocate points to try to come up with reasons why Voracek might be more important than Couturier. And I'm trying to think, like, is he speaking maybe from 
leadership, locker room perspective, something like that. Like that's the only thing I could have thought of. Now, he's just but, speaking out of his ass. Yeah, I think right? Jason said it perfectly. He looked up some quick stats yeah. and said, I'm an asshole, whatever, and just said <laughs> how he felt. You know? Well, well he probably also knows the, the narrative in Philly is, yeah. is that that Voracek is, you know, he's a guy who catches a rash. You know, a player like Voracek who takes a lot of offensive chances is going to have mistakes. It's just it comes with the turf of that kind of player. And a lot of people always obviously accentuate the mistakes or the turnovers just inside the offensive blue line. And then it's going the other way for a three on one or whatever. Um, So he's an easy guy to pick on. So he's an easy guy to be, you know, the hot take against if you're going to if you're going to go in that route. I don't know if Milbury knew all that because I don't think he follows anything close enough other than his own ego. So, yeah, but but to not defer to Keith Jones, who I mean, he obviously knows that Jones every night. Yeah, I mean, come on. Hey, the best part about that was the way you called him right out. He goes, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, he handles <laughs> it beautifully every time. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's actually a good guy. I'm really glad we get to, uh, you know, he calls games for the Flyers along with JJ. Because I am i don't know. I mean, you guys can answer however you want. Jason, I think you have to answer a certain way. But I love Jim Jackson. I love the way he calls games. You know, some people say he's too homerish, whatever. I don't care. I'm a Flyers fan. I want him to be homerish. No, he's great. Yeah. He's great. Every, every announcer is homerish. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I would not see it. Always the shit out of me. <laughs> people have. A, I've seen this on Twitter. People have mixed feelings about this, but I, I feel the same way you do, Jim. I mean, like, why would I want a guy to be any any other way? It, it, a part of it's I get mad at everything, and everything's a detriment to my team. And then I'll find out later that I was wrong. But you know, I like when he gets upset because that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> Well, I'm interested to hear Kyle's perspective here because I think you might be the uh, lone man out here, Kyle. Uh, I don't hate Jim Jackson. I just said sometimes uh-huh. he annoys the shit out of me. So what, is he, what does he do well, that annoys you? There was that. There was one game in particular. I just, oh my god, dude! I am, I am, I had to mute the TV. I was so fucking annoyed. Well, Connect was. Konechny was being Konechny, you know, yapping his mouth, constantly going at somebody behind the play, constantly going at somebody behind the play. The play stopped, and the dude turned and punched him in the face, and Jim Jackson lost it. Like, this guy just punched Konechny in the face. Oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, he probably fucking deserved it. He didn't shut his mouth for the last 10 fucking plays. But that's just No call. <laughs> no call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, Imagine... Uh, I watched the game with Kyle, and we're, that's I can see why he felt that way. I totally understand. He watches it almost like a most of the time he puts himself in the situations like, yeah, he's chirping him. What'd you expect? You know, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Where uh, I remember Voracek took a very obvious penalty, and I'm like immediately, I'm like, that's bullshit. He dove, and I watched the replay. I'm like, I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> so that's why I, you know, I don't mind Jim Jackson as much. I mean, yeah, Jack I Edwards is obviously the. Oh my the god! That was like, terrible. I, I, I think if he was, I think if he was the Flyers announcer, like I'd actually get annoyed at how much of a, a homer he was. I guess Boston fans are so annoying that they just like enjoy that for the most part. But that's a guy who he's such a homer that I probably would find it distasteful if I was a fan. But like I don't, I I don't think that Jackson, it, on the scale of like homer announcers, he's probably like for me in the middle or even towards the side of like non-homerish because whenever i listen to other because i live in dc so i have to listen to a lot of other play-by-play guys and i think a lot of guys are more homerish than he is wow 
Don't tell Frank that. I, I'd be surprised if somebody isn't homerish, to be honest. If you cover yeah. that team, you watch them every night, and you know <laughs> the players, like, how are you not a li- at least a little bit homerish? Um, who was I going to bring up right there real quick? I can't remember now, but uh, shit, I, I completely lost my train of thought. So we'll have to come back to that. Uh, so anyway, let's go ahead. Go ahead. I have a question for Jason real quick, because it's not often that, uh, you know, at least that I do, you get the perspective of, of somebody who, who covers a team. And I asked Charlie O'Connor the same question. I did it with him like, at the training camp, and I asked him the same thing. It's like, what, what do you find the differences are covering this GM-coach combo compared to, like, the last GM-coach oh. combo? Some of the stuff that the, the normal fans wouldn't know. Wow. <laughs> this is uh, – it is like covering – uh, Moscow beat prior, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, to covering uh, Bill Clinton's administration. Should I wow, say? well, maybe not that. I mean, Bill Clinton had the everything, the crazy shit, maybe sans that stuff, obviously. First but thing I thought of was blowjob. It is that I mean, different. I knew exactly, yeah. what I meant. <laughs> totally different. Be look, Hextall. And 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 Ron was really good to me, and I had a really good relationship with him the day I got fired from the fanatic. It was actually the Friday. I got fired on Thursday. I got a text message from Ron and, and obviously he wasn't with the flyers anymore, but he sent me a really nice note. And he was actually the reason I found out that I lost all my contacts in my phone, that they were attached to my email. When they turned it off, I was fucked because he signed it. Ron Hexel. I'm like, I have his number. What the fuck? And then I realized, (laughs) fuck, I don't have anybody's number anymore, but he sent me a really nice note. So I had a really good relationship with him. But that being said, Ron, in each year that he was the GM, got more and more, I don't know if it was paranoid or controlling. Um, So things just behind the scenes were very tense. He had his hands in a lot of things that a lot of us felt like he didn't need to have them in. You know, there there was a period of time where the door had to be closed in, in the locker room that I work in, which is right off the hallway. And I'm like, I can't see who's coming in the door. So I went to Hexy. I'm like, Hexy, I need the door open. <laughs> you know, I got to see who's walking in so I know who I'm interviewing, you know. Uh, but it, it was very tight. We weren't allowed to talk to any assistant coaches. We weren't allowed to get anybody on the record. And, you know, before that with Paul Holmgren, it was we did whatever we wanted. You know, I'd, I'd have Baruby on in pregame shows before they were walking out to the bench and he'd pop in for three minutes. And it's that way again under Chuck. Chuck's just not uptight. He's like, I hire people to do a job. They're here to do their job. Um, I think it's good for them to talk um, for a lot of reasons, and it, it helps. It certainly helps me. It helps the game. I mean, under Hexy, I would have never had Jeff Reese or Kim Dillabaugh a chance to interview a goalie coach. I talked to Kim all the time, and I had Kim on the Flyers Daily podcast. Um, I've had him on my Stick to Hockey podcast, and the fact that that door is open – I could talk to Mike Yo whenever I want, Michelle Tarian, any of them. I talk to Angela Ricci, the development coach, all the time. And there's nothing, no, you know, it's just so much more free down there in that regard. It's a huge difference. Do you think that trickles down to the players at all in, in any yep. perspective? Yeah. I, th- I think there's a tension that comes with that, you know, when you're that controlling of everything. And, and, I, and I think that Ron probably learned from it. And when he gets his next opportunity, he'll make some, he'll do some things a little bit differently. Um, cause I think that was one of the big reasons, you know, was the control, his inner circle got tighter and tighter and tighter. And when you're not winning, that becomes a big strain for management and ownership, 
players, coaches, and everything else. I think it was a big effect. I'm not at all surprised that you said that about the difference. I, well, just to piggyback off that real quick, what did you think about I, – I know he did a lot of weird things and very odd things, but what did you think about the Flyers being such a family organization, him cutting out the alumni the way he did? Well, I talked to a lot of alumni about that, and obviously they didn't like that. And Yeah, the family – Look, the Flyers are just like every other organization in sports. They all have ex-players and people working for them. I mean, just look in Philly. Like, look at the Phillies. Look at the look at the Sixers. You know, like they made Elton Brand the general manager. He was here for two years. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, every team does that in every city because they're the people that can help sell the game. And there's you know, there's obviously a connection. Um, but yeah, the, the alumni thing really scrubbed that the the Flyers alumni organization wrong because he was a part of it. And a lot of them, I think, felt like Hexy changed when he became a general manager. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem for a lot of the alumni. I don't want to speak for them, but that's basically what I think they would tell you if you gave them some sodium pentothal. And mm-hmm. they'd probably be a little bit more angry what, about it than I am. sodium pentothal? Truth <laughs> serum. Truth serum, Jim. <laughs> I'll use one-syllable words for you. <laughs> I was going to Google that. And Not gonna help. Snake oil for your head. oh shit um so i had something that i wanted to kind of get your guys opinions on a little bit here um so you guys know i mean you watched the flyers they dominated the rangers over the weekend five two five three um something that keeps coming up and i'm not really seeing but i could be wrong i often am and i just want to know what you guys think i've heard slow starts come up kind of regularly and not seeing them the way I think other people are like, yeah, like, okay, they're not coming out and they're not jumping all over teams and they're not winning one, two, three, nothing like they did, uh, last yesterday, the, uh, you know, and I'm just like, there's another team out there trying to do the same thing against the flyers. Like, do you guys see the slow starts to, or, or am I just missing something? We, we can start with Jason first. Yeah, I see him. I see, people keep asking me, what are the things they need to fix? And that's, but answer number two, <laughs> uh, road woes, number one, and slow starts, and slow starts on the road especially. Now, on the road, you go, okay, we want to survive. The, the old notion is survive the first 10 minutes. If you're down one nothing, that's a win. Um, I mean, if you're up, obviously, that would be better. But on the road, that's the old mentality. But there's far too many games where they've gotten down 3 nothing. Now, to their, to their, you know, they don't quit, and they battle back in these games. Like you saw that Islander game. In between the two Columbus games, they got down 3 nothing. They managed to battle all the way back and tie it. And then they gave up that bomb from uh, Pollock right after that to lose 4-3. I think it was 5-3 because they scored an empty net or two. But um, you can't keep battling back in games and chasing the scoreboard. Um, it's been obviously with the way they played lately, it's been a lot less noticeable. Um, and they've actually gotten off to starts like both those Ranger games. I mean, they got a goal early in both of them. And that's huge. Uh, but that's something... I think that is real, the slow starts, and that's something that they definitely need to, to – to, they need to be ready to play. And Vino's talked about it. Like, they tried all kinds of different things, the way they prepare for games, the way they prepare on the road, their routine, take an earlier bus, take a later bus, um, have a meeting well, at a different time, all that stuff. Well, like, help me out a little bit. Like, slow starts, like, what, they, they don't come out juiced up? Or, like, what is it? What, they can't match the other team's come intensity? Sloppy. No, you come out, out sloppy. Yeah. Look, at that level of play – in the NHL, like if you're not completely dialed in, you get exposed. 
Like you think like, oh, yeah, they're just going out and playing. But like some guys, if they don't have a morning skate on the day of a game, their hands aren't there for a period. Mm. Like that's how how thin the line is of being great or good or awful in that sport is. It's like something that simple. It's why so many of their pregame routines are so rigid because they have to control all of that. And And if they don't, if it's not perfect, then you don't come out ready to play. I mean, that's that's all really interesting. I mean, I guess, and I, I don't disagree because they're not exactly dominating first periods, but I'm kind of like, I'm, a, I'm okay with the way they're starting games out. Well, because, lately I mean, you are. Yeah, lately you're fine. Yeah. But yeah, but if you earlier look, this season, it was an issue. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at their first period numbers during the Hextall era, I think that they were far and away the worst team in the league. So there's like a difference between... You know, oh, hey, so many NFL teams start slow, guys didn't have a morning skate, whatever. And then there's, like, what this team was the last five years. And the first part of the season, it was sort of the same thing. But mm-hmm. recently, it, it seems like, and we were talking about this before, is it, it seems like something has, like, changed with this team over the last 10 to 15 games. Like, some kind of comfort level that I haven't seen with this team. I didn't see it with under the Hextall era. And it's like, now this team comes out and they're confident. Like before, okay, they'd fall behind the Tampa like 4 nothing, and they'd make some miraculous comeback and lose 6-5 to five or something. And now it's, aside from that Devils game, like they're, it just doesn't seem to be happening. Like they, they'll come out and maybe like the, the, the Rangers game in Philly, they'll give up the first goal, but like there's no panic and they just don't let it, snowball and they immediately score a couple goals in the second period one at the end of the first period and it's it's like this team is calmer but it but in a way where you know that they're going to be playing well defensively and it's I'm hoping that they've turned this corner under Vino and that this is kind of like the new flyers that we're going to be talking about that they have solved these horrendous first period woes and we know that there will be bad first periods here and there but but whatever was going on the last five years, that maybe that's behind them. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, you know what's funny, Dan? I agree with you, too. It, it's like you watch them, and it's like they're not thinking on the ice anymore. In the beginning of the year, yeah. I felt like you would see them thinking. Like, shit, where am I supposed to be? Am I on the right side of the puck? You know, and it's not like it's it's more complicated because of the system change under Vino. And now it's like they just know that if we go out and we skate, number one, and we stick to the system – that we're going to our, our four checks going to wear them down at some point in the second period. We're going to get a bunch of good chances. And if we bury, there's no problem in us winning this game. And then there's also the freedom of playing, knowing that your goalie back there, if you make a mistake, you're not pulling it out of the back of your net. Where last year, that that is the hardest way to play the sport, knowing that if I make a mistake, I'm pulling it out of the back of the net and they're scoring. You can't play that way. If you know that there's a guy back there that can bail you out, now, you have to be able to play this sport taking some chances, and they're doing that, and that's why they're they're more offensive. It's why they're averaging like four and a half goals a game, and they're only giving up like 2.3 over the last 10 games or whatever. Like when you have those averages, you're going to – that's why they're dominating right now. And you couple that, Dan, too, with the, the depth scoring that they're getting is absurd, and that's what makes them a playoff team that can do some damage. 
Yeah, you guys kind of stole my points there. That's exactly what I was saying. Was thinking is uh, they go on, they get give up a goal, go on the penalty kill. They're like, yeah, we're gonna kill this because it's been better than it has been last five years for sure. And now to add to that, they can actually score shorthanded goals, and they've done plenty of that. I can't think of a season where they scored this many shorthanded goals. I think you're going back to what, like Richards. Mike Richards had to be on the team. Yep. You know, you add that with the power play coming around and yeah, the steady goaltending, the steady defense, the the system and all that. It's like, how can you not have confidence in your team and just all right, we gave up one, we'll get it back. And uh you should you see that now in the way they played and in the uh how they hold their heads up and skate and it's a fantastic thing to watch because they really look like they feel that they're the better team on the ice most nights. Yeah, I can't wait till they go in and play Washington on Wednesday because if they lose, all these people are going, see, you should have been talking about the cup. Like, oh my god. <laughs> wait, wait, can we can we we brought those people up earlier in the show, Jace? Oh, like fuck, man. Can we just fucking enjoy... can we line them up and beat the shit out of them? Can we just enjoy <laughs> something like while it lasts, you know? Like even if they don't win the cup, like it's okay to be fucking excited. We waited how many years to just be happy, you I know? Went a, I went on a rant about that on Flyers Daily. I think it was today's episode. I don't even fucking remember. No, it wasn't because I listened fuck. to that one. But that might have been yesterday. <laughs> because somebody messaged me and said, is it okay to be excited for them to go to the cup? And I'm like, God, why do we want to fucking skip all the chapters of the book and go right to the end? Yeah. Like, let's enjoy the ride. Yeah. It's been since 2012 since they won a series. Can I just go through the rhythm of the playoffs and not worry about the Stanley Cup today in fucking March? Yeah, you know I, what I mean? I, I agree. I talk radio today talking about, the oh, they could be a cup team. Well, no shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> any team that gets into the playoffs can be a cup team. You know what I mean? It's like, why are you having that conversation now? Yeah, what I guarantee you is not going to happen, Flyers fans, is Travis Konechny is not going to be replaced on the first line by Michael Roffel. And this team isn't going to have a whatever it is, game six or game seven, like they had against the Penguins two years ago. Like nope those, things, those things aren't going to happen. But hey, they could have a really hard-fought series against the Penguins and lose because Crosby and Malkin decide to be Crosby and Malkin, like, that could happen, and it doesn't mean that this year is a disappointment, but, like, there are certain things that we know are not going to happen in the first round, and then they're going to play better than they did two years ago, but, like, you know, just enjoy the ride, just like you guys are saying. You know you know what it is, Dan, and you bring up a good point. It's before when we would lose, not only were we not the better team, but we were playing with, like, a non-optimal lineup with everything. And now it's like, I have confidence in my team. So even if we lose, I know they actually gave it everything they had, and they they really had the best systems going forward, and I really thought they could do it. I can be okay with that. Where under Hacksaw, it was it was square peg, round hole. It's fallen down on the ice, broken plays and all that, and it was embarrassing. Now, enjoy the ride because they're playing the best hockey they've played in years. And, yeah, if it all comes together and the p- bounces go their way, they could definitely be a cup team. That's how it happens. But the point is they got to play their game, and they're doing that. And that's as much as you can ask for. Yeah, but I thought if you lose to a team like the New Jersey Devils, you're not a cup team. Uh, that's oh what I was God. told on Twitter. No, I freaking love those people. <laughs> until, I, until I pointed out that St. Louis, a couple of weeks before, lost to Detroit. And that the Bruins have a 1-2 and two record against Detroit. And that the Penguins got shit-kicked by the Devils 5-1. to one, And yeah. so did the Capitals. But I guess no good teams ever lose to bad teams. It's a one goal. Le- it's a one goal win league. That's what it is, you know. And every team in an eighty-two game season is going to have some shitty losses. I only counted three shitty losses on the Flyers schedule all year, including that five nothing game against the Devils. They lost to Ottawa earlier this year. They lost to the Devils, and I think the other one was uh, oh fuck, I can't remember. 
Ottawa is even a tough team to beat, the too. The Dallas game was horrible. It might have been a horrible game, but Dallas is no slouch. I'm trying to think. Of they that. were then. <laughs> they lost like 10 games in a row, and they came to Philly oh, uh, and destroyed. Oh, that the was Kings. their first the win, Kings, too, I think. The Kings. Uh, yeah, the, the Kings were one. Yeah, Kings, oh, yeah. It was actually San Jose, too. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, it's a bad by San Jose, 6 to 1. Yeah, yeah. I think it does. You know, follow, have, don't really follow. They like to jump in and just rain on everybody's parade. Speaking yeah. of bad losses, Pittsburgh got their asses kicked out west, too. They went over California, and California ain't what it used to be. No. Got that. Looked, no, they only scored three goals in, the, in those three games, by the way. They haven't scored more than three goals in like six games. I think something's up. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, after I say that, now they're going to the deadline. Up, yeah, they're going to put up. Yeah, those trades were really bad. Like Dominic Cahoon, I've got some buddies who are Penguins fans, and they're like, they had no idea why they tried to trade that guy for who they got because mm. Connor Sheary's been horrible this year. Maybe they think that him and Crosby are going to like resurrect what they used to have. And Marlowe is, I mean, not great. And Cahoon had been really good. Like, I don't understand the moves that they made, especially as we talked about before. They didn't bolster their defense. I mean, they they could be in actual trouble if those two goaltenders are going to continue to play like crap. Yeah, Jari did, has not looked good after a great first half. and I don't get the Marlowe move at all. Like, I don't get what... I like the Zucker move because it's a hockey trade and it goes beyond this year. I think he's a good fit there. But they disrupted too much when they were playing well. Yeah. I, I'm not a deadline guy. Like, I've been yeah. very vocal about this. Like, if you're trying to build your team into a Stanley Cup team at the deadline, you're screwed because it doesn't work. Since uh, basically since like, God, what was it? Was it Bobby Nystrom or no, it was Butch Goring in 1980 was the last time I remember a guy being acquired that made a huge difference. Well, we brought up when the Penguins, guy. they were uh, they were pushing for a cup, I want to say back in 2013 or 14. And they added a Ginla straight off of the Calgary and Boston bounced them. Like, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's, yeah. Well, during the trade deadline, when everyone everyone was freaking out, I tweeted out. Major trade deadline ads from the last 10 Cup champs. 2019 Blues, zero. 2018 Caps, zero. 2017 Pens, zero. 2016 was the, where the Pens added Justin Schultz, and that was actually a big move for them. Like he, That was the last big trade deadline move that really helped the team. But then 2015 Hawks, Vermette and Timonen, who barely played for that team. Mm-hmm. Like Jeff Carter back in 2012 was then uh, before Schultz was probably like the next biggest one and Marion Gabrick in 2014. But like you look at the teams that have won the cup and there are not a whole lot of big moves that they made to the deadline. You can't ever add a top six forward or a top four D in my opinion. Wow. Not ever, but I mean, but you know what I mean? And you're right. So many of those moves, Dan, were just like ancillary depth yeah. moves, you know? Like, I like the move that the Caps made to get Brendan Dillon. I like that move. Yeah, they had to. But the move to get Ilya Kovalchuk, to me, is as dumb as it gets. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that either. How would you put an anchor on your 5-on-5? Why don't they bring Alex Semin back and have him too? <laughs> no, yeah, right? Like, Fuck. Um, so you mentioned depth, uh, guys. The Flyers traded for a guy, Derek Grant. You actually had a chance to talk to him the other day, uh, Jason. Uh, what's he like? I mean, he, it looks like... He fit right in yesterday anyway. Like, what's Derek Grant like? What's he going to bring to this roster? He brings a ton of versatility because he can play all three positions offensively. He can play either wing. He can play center. He can kill penalties. He's got some skill, too. You saw that in the goal. I mean, nice goal. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he saw, you know, the play that Roffle breaks it up at the blue line on the on the PK. And then Grant goes up the wing, gives him a nice pass, and Roffle gets the shorty. He's just a guy that gives you a lot of versatility. He's an upgrade. He's a 29-year-old player as opposed to a 
21-year-old player or 19-year-old player in Joel Farabee, I guess it would be, you know, Farabee's going to be back up because I don't think Nate Thompson's going to be able to stay in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you know, let Farabee go down there and play some top-line minutes and then bring him back. Let, let, him, let him loosen his brain up a little bit, not have to worry so much about a checking role defensively and all those things. But Derek Grant, I, I, I think it was a great pickup. It was an, an obvious pickup. I think everybody under the sun that had a clue conjectured that he was the guy they were going to get and they gave up the fucking bag of pucks to get him. Yep. Mm-hmm. And is there like a trickle effect here? Because now guys uh, like, for example, Claude Giroux don't have to play those, those tough PK yep. minutes and whatnot. See, it's a great point. And it's one of the things that I talked about too was now you, you just keep Giroux for five on five. Yep. You don't need him to, you don't want him playing PK anymore. Why do you want to do that? I don't even want him playing center. <laughs> yeah, take all the hard. That's what I was saying, kind of during the season. Take the hard minutes away from Drew. Just let him play the offensive minutes now. But I guess you know, with the lineup they had, it was kind of tough to do that. And it looks like bringing in a Derek Grant gives him a little bit more flexibility. Yeah, with Nolan Patrick out, that changed the situation, obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, put Drew in positions to be more offensive all the time and let him create because. You say all you want about his skating. He still has elite hands, elite vision, and elite playmaking ability. I love Can watching I, him. I, you know, I want to. I want to bring up something real quick, and I, you know, want everyone's opinion and Jason for sure. Like what? So one of my things, and and obviously I'm kind of like a, a prospect guy, and I've written a bunch of prospect articles, and so for me it was like seeing the way that Ron Hextall was building this team. To me, the path to the Stanley Cup over the last four years looking at it was going to be through the goaltending and the defense because you had all these really good young defensemen. If, and if the thought process was, if, okay, if all these guys develop like they could and Carter Hart develops like he can or one of the other young goalies or whatever, that's going to be how this team's going to win a cup because they don't have a McDavid. You know, they, they don't have, um, you know, a, a McKinnon. That's what's going to happen. And one of the things to me, that has made a huge difference over the past month for this team has been the way that Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers have like, mm-hmm. in my eyes, grown up before all of us and become this really good second pairing unit where both guys are playing very confidently, which for a young defenseman is, is half the battle, maybe even more than that. And so to me, not a lot of people are talking about it, but the way that those two guys have stepped in and played second pairing minutes, and then you can just rely on Braun and Haig, you know, they're so steady as a third pair. What do you guys think of, of, of the way that the, over the last month, Sanheim and Myers have been playing? Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, Dan, dude, I, first of all, where you started, Hexy was right. You build from the crease out. He, he was drafting a goalie every year, mm-hmm. and you're bound to hit on one, right? Even if you're the Flyers, you're bound to hit on one. <laughs> and, and I think that they might have hit on two. Sandstrom, I think, it might have developed in a little bit slower curve than Hart, but and Hart is, I think, going to be great. But you're right. I, I tweeted out the other night watching those two. I think it was the second game against Columbus. And I saw that play that Phil Myers made at the end of the game. Oh, yeah. He was beat by a step and a half. And somehow one stride, just Bjorkstrand muted him. And the way that those two guys cover the ice, I tweeted it out. It's like watching two gazelles on skates. Yeah. <laughs> they cover the 200 by 85 like it's nothing. And Phil Myers, he was a late bloomer. I think that he was like a baby giraffe for a while because he grew so big, but like his legs weren't in, in concert with his head and his hands and everything. But when, not, when that's all coming together, I think that's what you're seeing now. And I think he's just a freak athlete. Like I don't know that he's like the smartest hockey player in the world, 
Yeah. And he might be able to develop that more, and he probably will. But he's a freak of nature athlete. And Sandheim, the way he skates, it I mean, if you ever if you remember seeing a deep pairing, Dan, with two guys that can skate like that? No, it's 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 ridiculous. And Sandheim is the best skater of, to, to me. He's the best yeah. skater on the team. Mm-hmm. Like, he is there. There were shifts he had in juniors where it honestly looked like Peter Forsberg to me when he's mm-hmm. basically just making circles in the offensive zone. And he's just, he's he's such a good skater, and he's not as good a shooter as as Shane Goss and he's not as good defensively as Ivan Provorov. But like his his skating ability is he's a really good passer. And then Phil Myers. Like, he reminds me of fucking Clark Kent. Like, you see him with his shirt off? This Shredded, dude is yeah. fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And he kind of looks like Clark Kent, too. He does. He's, <laughs> he's like, I compared him to Clark Kent the other day. Like, he's almost like, and he's, like you said, he, he can have be two steps behind someone and catch them from behind. And it's like, all right, Niskanen's here for two more years, and then maybe Phil Myers is like the top pairing demon wow. with Ivan Provorov. But... But I'm so excited about those two guys because this is, you know, we, you know, we can rip on Hexel and I do it a lot, but like his, this was his vision. And it's almost like every one of these young guys he's drafted um, and brought in, like he did with Myers, has, is, is panning out almost like the top ceiling of how we projected it. And there's so much more projectability with those guys that it's, I, to me, I've just really enjoyed watching those two guys. Me, yeah. yeah. And, and Myers, he's, and I was talking to, uh, uh, Anthony, uh, the other Ricci, the other night, he's the strength and development coach for the team. And Myers, he was telling me, has the the heaviest bomb on the team. He's got a fucking cannon, right? I mean, he shattered fucking Kreider's. I was going to say, Kreider found out pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. quick. <laughs> and, and not only that, but and then look, there's more coming too. Like I, I like Freeman. What I've seen out of Freeman, I'm like, man, this guy's great. just chill and poised and not panicked ever. And then. I mean, if they can develop Cam York, I mean, another year at Michigan, and then you see where he's at. And, I mean, there's more coming defensively. And that may be the best equity you have in the world is having all those great defensive players. Because if you can't, you can't fit them all in top four roles, obviously. And if you have Proveroff, Myers, Sanheim, and I love Haig as a number five, and, you know, you have another veteran in there. I mean, you can use one of those guys. To, to get an ultimate piece if you need one at some time and not have it hurt your organizational depth. How about Zamula freaking in the world yep. junior championships? Like that dude looked like Ivan Drago out there, like scoring goals, <laughs> taunting the crowd like, yeah. was, at, with a, with a back injury that required surgery. Like it's, yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Hexy did it right. You're right. He, he built it from, from the crease out. You can't have enough D and you can't have enough goaltending. That's what she said. And big up the middle too with centers. Um, you mentioned Mark Friedman. So I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of writing him off for a little bit there. I know, Jack, you were kind of a Mark Friedman guy. You think he's got a spot on this team? If not now, maybe in next year in the future? Uh, I mean, me personally, I, I I don't think so. He might be up. He might have his cup of coffee. He might be a call-up kind of guy. I Long-term, as they were, you know, they were just talking about all the defensive prospects we have. We got a lot better guys in yeah. the in the holster. I see him as a plug and play kind of guy. Uh, he might stick for if there's an injury or something like that. Uh, I can see him being here for a bit, but ultimately, I don't see him. And I do like him too, like you said. I just I don't know how much further he'll be able to carry that along. He looks good with the puck, honestly. He looks like he, you know, he Boys. was a little shaky at first, and then he kind of settled in, you know. And that's the least you could ask for. But I, you know. 
I, there's a lot of good a lot of good prospects, a lot what, of good players now. What about 53? Yeah, I was ah. just gonna ask. Well, <laughs> see now that his name hasn't come up. up. We're trying to be positive tonight. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you mean you mean 65? I thought yeah. his number was 65 now. I don't yeah, know. That 65-point season that gets thrown in your face every time you're critical. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Ghost has been doing all right where, where he's been, in the box, in the press box, man. I, I can't say anything bad about it. He hasn't now, right? played bad, so whatever. Are they can't trading him this summer? I think I so. Hope. I think they have to. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was a deadline deal because right. that's, that's going to be a hockey trade. I could see that happening at the draft. But – um. Jason. Look, I was critical of him after year two, and people were like, what are you, freaking crazy? And I'm like, well, I just saw a guy, I think there was a misconception about him, that he was a great skater. And he wasn't. He's not a great skater. He's a shifty skater, and he's a dramatic player. Mm. You know, the plays that he makes are dramatic, so they tend to get overvalued, I think, sometimes. Um, and people say, why don't you move him to the wing? I go, well, I haven't found a board battle he can win, so I don't want to put him on the wing. He's not a great skater. Um, but I think he'll have value on the market. I, th- I think there's a chance we may have seen him, barring injury, play his last game with the Flyers. It's interesting. And I was looking over some trades, uh, past trades. I think it was over the summer where Colorado got Nazem Kadri for uh, they gave Tyson up Tyson Barry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Ker- and Kerfoot. And oh, that worked out. It's kind of comp- well. I, I'm a I'm a Kadri guy. I mean, I don't know what the Flyers could get back. Yeah, for it hasn't worked out for Toronto. Yeah, if it hasn't worked Barry out. Barry will be out of there yeah. this summer. Maybe they yeah, want to try sure. Ghost. Yeah, that's what, I was gonna, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe they want to. It's got some term left. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, why not? <laughs> name Captain, and I'm, t- I'm, so I'm having a discussion. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I wish Shirelli was still GMing somebody. I'm sure we could swing something. <laughs> Jace, I mean, you're close with some people. I mean, did you hear any kind of rumor swirl, swirl about Ghost? I mean, Fletcher even brought it up. You know, teams maybe were inquiring, but did you hear anything? I think that there was conversations about him, but it, it wasn't a value equation at this point because he was hurt. He was yeah. actually at the deadline. He was on a, on a conditioning stint with the Phantoms, and he didn't actually look real good there. In his first game, he was he was a minus two and was on the ice for the, the game winner, and it was a really ugly play. <laughs> um, but um, I think there was conversations there, and you know, Chuck's being a general manager there, and that's coy. Um, but I don't think there's a value proposition there right now. And, and look, if you have an injury and you have to go to him, then that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So I think he's I think he's looking at his group and saying, we're not going to subtract anything at this deadline. And we're just going to add some things without giving up a lot. And I, I think that's the right approach. Because I think if you start subtracting guys that got you to where you are, I think there's a resentment that comes in the locker room with that. And then there's also the part of assimilating a, a new player into a system with a quarter of the season left. Like people yeah. watch hockey and they go, well, you go out there, you get the puck, you try and score. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's so much more scientific and, and, you know, the systems are so much more complicated than that. To, to the layman, they don't see that stuff, but it's real. It's definitely real. Look at, look at guys going into situations. They just don't have, look at Taylor Hall going to Arizona. Mm-hmm. What have they done since he got there besides nosedive? Yeah, they got worse. He's been good. But the team's not better with him there. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. So when I was watching the cup finals last year, Bruins, Blues, and it seemed like every single shift, there's hits where you think to yourself, how's this guy getting up, right? And this is 
that final even more than some of the other recent finals i just remember watching those games and being like this is a fucking bloodbath like this is war right now and so i've kind of been viewing the flyers roster through that lens like could could this group of guys deal with that on a on a shift by shift basis and i think that adding guys like grant and thompson goes a long way but like i'm curious do we think that these guys you know will can they playing games like that what what is because we haven't seen this group of players make a deep playoff run and obviously it's a different group than than we've seen in the playoffs and two years ago and before that but like is is this a kind of group that can 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 win a war now that that was my complaint before the trade deadline after watching the tampa bay game and uh the second of the back-to-backs with uh columbus is they kind of got manhandled and I've been saying for a couple months now, the only thing I wanted to see them change at the deadline was add some size, add some grit. And obviously Grant's not the grittiest of players, but he's got size. And I'd love to see him play in a playoff series where it does get physical. And Thompson, add some size, add some physicality. I think it was much needed. I think they're better suited for the playoffs now than they were before the trade deadline, in my opinion. Whether they can withstand a big team smashing them every single night, that's to be determined. But the Flyers have shown nothing but resilience. So I don't think it would affect them as much as maybe we think it would. Good points there. I kind of agree with you, Kyle. Jason, you have any thoughts to that? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's one of those equations. It's it's a really interesting question to ponder, but I don't know that I can give you an answer because it's like saying, is he a big game player, but he hasn't played any big games yet? Because you never know what a group is going to be like as they come together. This team's come together and played great in the regular season, and you can make the case that what they've been doing here lately is playoff hockey because of how tight the standings are. And they haven't shied or buckled or anything from that. So they're a team that is really feels good about where they are right now. But I think what Dan's asking is, can, can they grind out a really physical series like that 2010 team did? You know, where you got to just, you got to keep pounding a guy like Char and throw it to his corner every game, every, t- every possession, right? And pound them mm-hmm. and wear them down. Can they do that? They got the size to do it. I mean, they got some big guys out there. You know, Kevin Hayes is 6'5". He's a big guy. Couturier's a big guy. Um, you know, they got some guy. Raffles a big guy. Pitlick can throw his weight around. I think they can play a pseudo-heavy game, if that's kind of the question you're asking, Dan. Um, is it the level of heavy game like the Kings and the Ducks in their prime? Probably not. But I don't think anybody in the West is playing that heavy of a game anymore, and that would be the Blues included. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I kind of actually lean towards, I think, that this roster is currently constructed could probably play a game like that. But I love what Jason said, where it's like, we're going to find out, right? That's going to be the fun part. I don't think, I still think in the East, like, I think the Bruins are just better constructed than any of these teams to play like that. And I think that's why they've had, had a lot of playoff success, is they just, I don't know what it is about that team. They've got that top line that can do whatever they want out there. But it just seems like they've got a mix of players who play that style when it comes down to the playoffs. And I'm excited to see. I mean, I love seeing NAK fly up and down the wing, hitting everything that moves and burying, you know, one timers. Um, yeah, I, I think that some of the, the guys that they've added are going to be able to play that style. I'm not sure if like 
guys like Sandheim and Myers are going to be able to hold up against, you know, wave after wave of four checking forwards coming in and freaking drilling them. But hey, maybe they can, and it's going to be fun to, to to watch this. And so I don't really have an answer either way. I just wanted to bring it up because I remember watching the finals last year and just remembering what an absolute slaughter it was out there. And I, I want to see if these guys can can hold up to that. I, the first few rounds aren't even like that, but it's just an interesting thing to think about. Not uh, not to backtrack a little bit here, but you brought up Knack again and uh, his shot, and we were talking about the hardest shots. That dude has to have one of, if not the hardest wrist shots on the Flyers at this point. I did not know that man could shoot the puck the way he shoots that puck. When it comes off his stick, it's got to be doing 60, 70 miles an hour. I, I've never 60, seen 70. Like that. Jesus Christ, you shoot at 60, 70. <laughs> one of those twigs. That it's dude's snapping that thing at, at 88. <laughs> He's uh, a sniper in juniors. Yeah, here's the deal, too. I talked to Brian Elliott about him. Because I saw him, he scored a couple goals, and I, and they were clear sight line shots where he scored with that snapshot. So wow. I asked Brian Elliott about it. I was like, I was like, dude, Moose, like, what is going on with this dude's shot? And he goes, yeah, people don't understand it because what he does really well is he changes his release point on the shot. So, and what what you'll see him doing on those goals he scores, he'll he'll be coming down the ice and he'll have the his stick outside. But when he's going to shoot, he'll pull into his feet and let it go from there. Now, who else does that? Austin oh. Matthews. Boom. Yep. 44 goals, right? Huh. And, and he gets just as much on it when you pull it in your feet. And I will tell you from experience as a goalie, when that gets when the release point changes, and when the release point changes from outside to inside in a guy's feet, it is a thousand times more difficult to read where that shot's going. Because you're so st- like tight in your body with your arms, it takes the read off the shoulders. It takes the read off the blade of the stick because it's changing as it's happening. And if you can do that and get it off fast and, and be accurate, you will score. And that's – I mean, how many times you see those clear sight shots that he's scoring? That's exactly how he's doing it. And, and Moose just said he just changes the angle of the shot of his release point, and it just throws a goalie for a loop. And you can't track it the same way. And it's, it's not all about how hard you shoot it. It's about where you shoot it and how you get it off for a goalie. And you, you know, every, every save on guys at that level is all – the only way you're going to save the puck is pre-shot read. You're moving before the puck is even off the guy's stick because you're reading everything and you know where it's going. Nobody can react to something that's going 88 miles an hour. It's just not – it's humanly impossible to do it. From the top of the circle. So you have to read it. So when you see one of those snap glove saves. Like Lundqvist made yesterday. On Provorov. That's all pre-shot read. The fact that Provorov didn't change the, the angle. Of where he released the puck from. Is why he got robbed. On what looked like a, a really difficult glove save. Lundqvist knew it was going there. Before it left the stick. That's amazing really. That in, Just in that second. They know where the puck's going to go. That's, yep. that's actually amazing. Yep. It's all about that read. And. You know, somebody tweeted me last week and said uh, Hart gave up a, a goal high glove, and I forget who they were playing. Maybe it was Bobrovsky when they were playing against Florida. And he's like, these goalies go down too early, blah, blah, blah. And so I tweeted him back with, like, probably the most data I've ever responded to a tweet with. And, and I broke down the data. And, and, and this is based on 
100,000 NHL shots, saves, and goals. 80% or eighty percent of goals in the NHL are scored in the bottom 12 inches of the net. Wow. And 80% of goals that are high are scored on the glove side. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, they always say the goalies are in the butterfly too much, but they don't bitch when they see the puck coming out from behind the net like below the goal line or below the circles to a centering pass, that puck is almost never elevated. So the goalie stays down and takes away the bottom third. Um, Secondly, the goalie, the reason why he gets beat on his glove hand more is because when you move in all that equipment, the one stabilizing feature of your body is your glove hand. It's the one that moves the most. The other one's tethered to a stick and is positioned along your right side of your body in a taut spot to hold that stick on the ice. So there's less room there. There's so much more room for error with a flailing glove than there is a blocker. It's really interesting stuff because, I mean, it, you know, to, to somebody who doesn't know how to play the goalie position, you're just like, oh, man, move your glove up higher, do this better. But there's so much that goes into stopping a freaking hockey puck, man. Oh, you see, the, 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 the big thing now, too, is move your glove forward a little bit. Anything in tight, just move your glove forward because it changes the trajectory of the shot and the ability to go upstairs. Interesting. It cuts off the angle a little bit more. Absolutely. If the guy wants to put it high over your glove now, it's going to end up in the rafters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really interesting. Well, everything he said about Nax shot uh, reminds me of, was it Columbus that he came back? And he t- scored that goal that really shocked everybody. I think it cut the lead down to one goal. I, I think it was against Elvis. Yeah, it was I'm the 3-2. It yeah, was to make yeah. It he, yep. he was all he was in all alone. It looked like shot from the top circle, and yep. it looked like it confused the goaltender. Yep. So I think clear, everything just, clear sight shot. Yeah, and it. I think that's a perfect example of how you just uh, laid out how he shoots. Yep. Like that was a perfect example. That right was there. one of the that's the, one of the ones that led me to the question to Brian Elliott. It's exactly one of the ones. Yeah. Wow. Huh. I'm a little just surprised it took perfect. us it took us 90 minutes to mention old knack attack. I mean, this is a guy, when he came up, I, I think we were all hoping that he would just stick around on the fourth line and, you know, provide some good minutes to keep the other guys off the uh, off the ice for a couple of minutes to give him a breather. I mean, in the last three games, this guy, this kid's got a goal and two assists, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. He could be on Smart this. Smart, too. Yeah, I think, he's, I think he's earned a spot on the roster potentially for next season as well. I hope so. I mean, we talked about their offseason, and Dan brought up he was a prospect guy. So was I. And this guy was like when we first started drafting players, like really actually trying to do it, this guy was like a second-round pick. Like That's nothing to sniff at. I mean, you can do a lot if you're getting drafted in the second round. And he was tearing it up in juniors. I was following his stats. You know, he had a lot of goals. So the, And for whatever reason, the previous regime just refused to really give him an extended look, and it's really nice to see him up here doing what he's doing. I mean, even this regime, though, like he, so he's, I've always been higher on him than, than some of the other prospect pundits. And a lot of it is because his second year as a pro, his first year in the AHL was not great, which is understandable for a lot of these, you know, kids that come up, they're 20 years old and they struggle. But his second year in the AHL, he was top five in the entire league among guys in even strength points. And when you're looking for a guy like Nicholas Albequiel, he's not going to be a top two line player for the Flyers. He's going to be a third or fourth line player. And so when I saw that he was top five in the entire AHL and even strength points, that's what we need from him. And then you watch the way that he plays and he got suspended multiple times in the AHL for 30 hits. Like we want a guy on our fourth (laughs) line who plays with an edge physically and who also can score. So it's like, tell me why this guy is not the perfect fourth line candidate. And 
Then the Hextall regime kind of ignored him. Even over this past summer, Fletcher and Vino didn't mention him a whole lot. Like, he's a guy that he didn't get an extended look uh, in camp and left a lot of people kind of puzzled, at least like me and some of the other guys who follow these prospects. We're like, why is he not even getting any kind of sniff? And he basically worked for it. He got his call up and he made an impact and he's stuck and he's really earned everything he's gotten because it doesn't seem like he's one of these guys that for whatever reason did not get any benefit of the doubt from any of these regimes. Yeah, I completely agree. It's how I felt over the summer. I'm like, you got all these prospects, like, let's see some of them, you know, especially some of the guys who've been around a little bit longer. And I think there was some talk that like, is he going to like get cut or something at this point? And it's really good to see that he's gotten his shot and really taken advantage of it. And cause I love having him on the, on the fourth line. Well, they waived him. I mean, he could have been claimed by any team out there. And Not I anymore. Him, <laughs> yeah, right. can you imagine if they waved him again? Like, he, geez, well, he ain't going they through waivers. Do it, but, yeah. Wow. Uh, we, the, uh, there's a, a company a couple of years ago, I think it was the 2017 season, that did uh, the math on every NHL goal scored in the season. It was an OHL company. I think it was called, like, Omaha.net or something. And they cataloged the whole season. What kind of shot do you think was the most effective at scoring goals in the NHL? The one you can't see. A wrist shot? A backhand? 49% <laughs> of the goals were scored on wrist shot. That's number yeah, I was going to say wrist shot? <laughs> yep. And the number one area where goals were scored and via wrist shot was within 10 to 20 feet of the net, basically below the dots. Love That's side. where all the goals were scored. 53% <laughs> wrist shot there. Uh, the 10% the of the goals were scored on backhands. 12% on uh, slap shot, 14 on snapshot, 9% on tip-ins, and 5% other. So you mean to tell me that Dave Hackstall throw everything into net from the point doesn't work? No, that's the that does work. <laughs> Get the puck to the net. He, he, he means well, bombs from the, from the point. point. No, not Ragco Gudis where you just throw a, <laughs> a shot. You have to have traffic in front of the net. You can't have a clear sight shot from there. 59% of the goals scored from 50 to 60 feet, which is just inside the blue line, are slap shots. Only 213 that entire season were wow. scored from there. Yeah, you don't really see slap shots that often anymore, I feel like. Mostly yeah. wrist shots. But but the wrist shot, 53% of the time from 10 to 20 feet, 1,270 goals wow. from that spot. You want How to go, many? You want to go where to score? Go to that area. Go How many of them were, were 12 inches below the ice? I mean, uh, 12 inches or, or lower? Um, 71%. <laughs> Do you really have that? Yeah, I'm pulling up the data right now. Get the hell out of here. Yep, 71% were along the ice. Get 12 the hell inches. Out here it is. All right, so 71% of all goals in that season were scored in the bottom 12 inches of the net. 58% um, of successful shots were released within one second. 80% of goals are scored with little or no windup. 27% of all goals are scored in the five hole between the goalie's legs. 27%? Yep. Wow. Chase, uh, is this hard, a site? Can, can you, is this a site that you can give out that you're getting this information from, or did you research this stuff? No, no, this is stuff I found. Wow. Yeah, 20% of high goals are scored over the goaltender's blocker, 80% over the catcher. And Chase, only 6% of one-timers scored in the top 12 inches of a net. That's pretty insane. Yeah, it is insane. They always I'm say, what, get pucks and bodies to the net? Yeah. It's not a cliche because 47% of goals in the NHL are scored within 10 feet of the net. 
You know what surprised me is they when Ovi scored a 700th goal and they showed like his, his goal chart, there was a lot of red like directly in front of the goal. Like usually when you see his highlight goals on TV, it's like that slap shot from the side on the power play. Mm. He had a lot of red like directly in front of the net for those yeah, goals. He's a big body. He goes right there. He knows where to go. I was surprised to see that. I guess I mean, those goals don't look as pretty to go on the highlight. I guess no. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> it's friggin' seven hundred of them. Jesus, the, basically the whole zone was covered in red. Yeah, now, that, now that we are talking about the front of the net, one thing I have really enjoyed watching uh, is the Flyers' chemistry in front of the net. It's it's not just throw the puck at the net when they get it down there. They are making some pretty passes to a wide open net, like a little tuck-ins. Just seems to be clicking for them more so than it has in the last five years. We in coaching we call it puck with a purpose, puck on pad. Um, you, you saw it in the game yesterday. Voracek gets the seam pass from Konechny, throws it right at the goal to Lundqvist. He's not shooting that puck to score. He knows he's not going to score. He throws it to Lundqvist, uh, middle pad. In this case, it was his right pad because he also saw Sean Couturier unmarked driving the net. And where's that rebound going to go? Right to Couturier, who pots it right into an open net. That's puck on pad. Kubel, Abe Kubel did it last week too. Great shot to the middle of the middle pad. Uh, rebound right to a JVR on Friday, right in the goal. Have you guys That's noticed? On pad. Have you guys noticed? And maybe this is because they changed the power play back to the way it used to be. But they've been moving the puck around. Kyle, to your point, with like more more conviction, more fluidity on the power play. Is that because they know where guys are going to be? Uh, Dan, I know I know you were kind of an advocate for putting Drew back on the the side he should be on. Are you seeing this now? Yeah, I mean their power play the last few weeks has been ridiculous and it's been quick passing plays i mean they're scoring early on in these power plays and it's you know like like jason said it's you know voracek drew and um you know voracek drew and katuria down low with these ridiculous plays connecting getting in on it so yeah i mean i've seen it a lot the really interesting thing is long term i still don't think that ivan Provorov is like an is like a top power play defenseman um and I, I just, I ultimately, I would love to see Travis Sandheim kind of get a shot on that unit. It's not a, obviously, it's not a big deal whatsoever. Now they're clicking in all cylinders. It's just an observation. And I'm, I'm a program's biggest fan. But I think that, uh, I don't know the long term. He's, a, he's the fit there. You know, Cam York might be the guy. But Sandheim looked really well at the end of last year on, on playing on the power play. And I think they took him off even still. But he was producing on the power play. I think it was towards the end of last year. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't seen him more on the power play. Sanheim. He gets out there with unit number two sometimes, but yeah. uh, the reason I, for the success for the power play for me is a putting drew on the left half wall. Number one, right. because that allows him to have the, his vision opened up for across the slot line passes. Now I'm going to geek out on you guys again. Jesus Christ. I'm giving you so many fucking numbers. Um, I, I don't know if you ever heard of a website called clear Sight analytics. Or do you know who Steve Aliquette is? Steve Aliquette was a goalie for the Rangers. And he's an announcer now. But he developed this company called ClearSight Analytics because his theory, and it's dead right, is that not all shots are created equal. So there's an imaginary line that goes from the middle of the net to the blue line, and it's called the slot line. And when the puck crosses the slot line, you have an 82% greater chance of scoring on an offensive possession. Now, why is that? That's those cross-seam passes like you saw connecting to Voracek um, to Couturier. That was two passes across the slot line. Talk about a great chance to score. 
if the goalie doesn't have to open up his five hole and the puck stays on one side of that slot line, the chances of him saving it are a thousand times better. And this is data that's been now five years of Valaket evaluating every shot that happens in an NHL game. And it has to meet like five points of criteria to, for him to catalog it. And, and you see teams that look at, look at a team like the Capitals. Why are they so successful in the power play? They're one of the teams actually that subscribe to his analytics. And it's cross the slot line passes that open the goalie up. And every time the puck crosses the slot line, there's a chance for a mistake from all of the defenders and also for the goalie. It's, a, it's an opportunity for the goalie to lose his net. It's an opportunity for the goalie to have to lift up, open his legs, create holes. And it, it's, it's the Steve Kerr philosophy in basketball. If you just keep moving the basketball, eventually you'll get an open shot because all those decisions have to be made every time the ball is moved or passed. It's why you get Clay Thompson with 34 points and seven dribbles in a game. Mm. It's the same philosophy. It's, it's amazing stuff. So go on to his website, ClearSight Analytics, and you can see all the data there. It's unbelievable. Jace, can I ask you, do you have any reason as to why it took them so long to put Giroux back on the half wall? I think they were just trying everything. I thought that when the power play struggled, they, they thought they could do something different, and they were trying different things, but I think they realized where they are now, and it's going to work. So they were just trying to work out the kinks and the other stuff before they went back to what they knew would work? Yeah. Kind of deal? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like everything's clicking for them. They got the power play going again. They got the, the PK going. I mean, I know it struggled against New York, but, I mean, Mika Zibanejad's like a freak, man. I, I, I really didn't think he was ever going to be this good. He's a freak, dude. Him and Panarin are scary together. Oh, man. Uh, so I really don't fault the Flyers. That I mean, they were up 5-1 when they gave up those two two penalty kill goals. But um seems like everything's clicking for these guys at the right time. Power play, penalty kill, 5-on-5, five five, they're playing great. They got, they're rolling four lines. Uh, defense to have seven, eight guys that can put out there, Friedman and Ghost uh, as well. Um, Carter Hart, 0.929 save percentage in February. I think that was his best month yet. Um, it seems like the only thing they had to shore up was the road, uh, their road play. And, you know, I, I kind of tr- – I'm trying to play devil's advocate here before we wrap up. So the Flyers are – they're 5-2-2 two two on the road since the West uh, West Coast trip. You know, only losing to New York and Tampa Bay in regulation. Two teams that they could possibly play in the playoffs. Um, if you take out, you know, the West Coast trip, and I, I've been calling it the Oscar trip, you know, where the, obviously they found out he, he's got uh, Ewing sarcoma. They're 14-8-2 on the road. Um, and I know we can't really look at it that way or whatever because obviously those losses did happen. Uh, the Pens just shit the bed out West. but So I'm thinking, you know, 14-8-2 minus those two road trips. Is this team really bad on the road or or what? What's your opinion? you got to look at the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you, you can't just, well, let's take this part out. Yeah. Um, they've improved on the road. Um, I need to see more before I say that the road woes are completely gone. Okay. And, and Jack and Kyle, I want to find your opinions on this too. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, they've clearly improved on the road. I, I think that uh, I'm just happy that they don't have any West Coast teams <laughs> that they could be playing on early in the playoffs. You know, my concern, every, my concern, and maybe this is just being the, the Philadelphia fan who, you know, I'm 40 years old and I've basically seen one championship my entire life. My, and none from the Flyers. You know, my, my concern is like, hey, are we like peaking too early? I, I mean, 
I don't know. I, this is the way that I want this team to be playing two months from now. I don't know if I want them to be playing this way now, but if they've turned the corner, is this the new normal? Like, I can't answer that question. I don't know if it's the new normal or if they're peaking too soon or if it's a combination of both. I'm going to enjoy the ride, and I, you know, I'm going to the game Wednesday night in D.C., and I'm excited to see what happens. And But, uh, you know, I... I think we're all kind of inherently a little bit skeptical just as, as, as Philly fans, but I'm very excited with the way they're playing and I'm just hoping that they can sustain it. Jack and Kyle, your thoughts and Jack, we can go to you first. Um, what, what are your opinions on this team? Are they really a bad road team or do they kind of work out the kinks? I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if they worked out the kinks. It's good to see them playing better, especially Hart. Uh, he just looks like he's playing his game. I don't. Th- it's such. It was such a weird thing. I don't think they're doing anything different on the road than they are at home. I think it's something that started to uh, the skew in a bad way. That started to look worse than it was. I know the travel definitely doesn't help, but how much of an excuse is that when you're on a road trip? Maybe the first game, but after that, I don't. I don't know how much you could use that. And uh, I just think it was a weird stat that got a little out of hand and. Uh, Hopefully this is what they really are. Is they're playing much better. It's a so it's a little bit of what you said. It's a little, it's a little bit of everything. You know, it's it, there's not one thing. It, it's it's I'm sure it's a lot of things. So if they just keep doing what they're doing, I really don't care where they're playing. Now, if you ask me, yeah, I'm glad we don't have a, you know, a one through sixteen type playoff stature where we can end up playing a West Coast team. I, I'm definitely not for that. But uh, it's good to see that they're playing better because they're going to have to play some road games. Uh, especially in the playoffs. So I, th- I think they're coming around as in, just in general. And I think that's a stat that just got a little out of hand. Do you think that's true, Kyle? Did it get out of hand or, you know, Flyers really need to get their shit together? I mean, they sucked on the road for a while. I don't know how else to put it. So <laughs> if you suck on the road, your record's going to reflect on the road. But, yeah, so, but did it, I mean, does that mean the Penguins suck on the road? I don't know. Do they? I don't often check the Penguins other than hearing about them losing six straight, which this isn't very good. <laughs> I mean, at least now, the Flyers I, want a game out there. I don't I don't think that they're as bad as maybe the stats suggest they are on the road. And I, I really hope they've turned a corner going into uh, Washington. I mean, you, you won in New York. Uh, how great would it be if they smash Washington in Washington again? That yeah. would be cool. And... Uh, <laughs> Then you get, what, it's two home games, and then they're back on the road again, right? Yeah, they got the Canes coming up and the Sabres this week. All three winnable games, for sure. I don't know. Buffalo added Simmons. I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> was that the strangest trade that, that any of you guys have ever seen? I, what was he the was point? Just, he I, wanted a chance to make the playoffs. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's owner, GM trying to keep the team relevant a little bit longer, I guess. I don't, I don't know. The only reason I, I think they could have made that trade is maybe Simmons can come into that locker room and show them how fucked up they are. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand the point of that deal at all. I don't um, mean, even that. I think is a stretch. I mean, it's how much, how many games are left in the season at this point? Are they even gonna like buy into that at this point? Yeah, maybe most of them are free them. agents. I thought Buffalo should have traded a lot of their their one year guys, and they really didn't do that. You know, it's like half the team probably not even going to, you know, those guys aren't going to be there. So I just, I don't know. This is odd. They just lit a fifth round pick on fire, basically. I mean, that's Yeah, what they, they, they did. traded a fifth round pick to <laughs> for the honor of paying the rest of the Simmons contract for the year. 
Yep. Um, so we're coming towards the end here. Uh, Jason, the last time we had you on, I think, was right before the season started back in September, I think. Uh, and we talked about Vino's system and how they were going to have, you know, the whole point of the system was to uh, – uh, what the hell is the word I'm looking for? They, they wanted to have less high-grade shots, correct? And Against. I think – Against and they lead the league in that this year. I think they lead the league for least shots on goal by the opposition. Uh, is that what we're seeing? Or are they they're playing a Vino system, right? Well, yeah, they're definitely playing a Vino system, and the shot suppression is a part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, they throw a lot of shots and they don't give up a lot of shots, so it's a good recipe. It's tough on goalies because sometimes you want you want to touch the puck more, mm-hmm. but they'll go through. You'll see like. It was the game the other day. They outshot in the final 28 minutes. They gave up three shots. Jesus. I, I think it was the Rangers on Friday. I, I mean, right. th- that's absurd. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It really is. I mean, that That's pretty insane. They've had periods where they've only given up two shots in a period several times this year in like a second or third period. So that's that's pretty nuts. Yeah, I think what we've seen, you know, throughout the year, at least from my perspective, is, you know, they'll come out in the first period. Things are kind of evened out. You know, the Flyers start taking games over with maybe five minutes, five minutes left in the first. And then second period, you could clearly see them take games over in the third period to just kind of mop up, you know. Uh, They're fun to watch this year for sure. Uh, I mean, especially after having to watch the last four years of that track. Um, Yes, we're we're at the end of the episode, guys. Uh, Jace, thanks for coming on, man. Dan, thank you for coming on. You guys uh, have anything you want to plug? No, I mean, you can uh, throw me a follow on Twitter at, uh, at dsilver88, and uh, me and my partner, Mark Giannone, will keep doing our uh, The Getting Bullied podcast, and just, I, I always love coming on. You guys are class acts, and it's just, it's a lot of fun, and it's good conversation, and especially with Jason this week. I mean, it's great to get that insider's perspective, so this was, I, this was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure having you on, man. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Jace, you have anything you want to plug? I know you got, you got a lot of new stuff going on. Yeah, Flyers Daily, Flyers Broadcast Network. Uh, doing, I'll be taping Flyers Daily as soon as we're done here for tomorrow. Um, and then uh, Flyers Fix as well, which we do every other week, which is great because usually sit down with a couple of players together so they're a little looser. And uh, we just had Chuck Fletcher on episode three from the trade deadline. Uh, literally 15 minutes after the deadline was over, he sat down with us and gave us 20 good minutes. Um, awesome. Elaine Vino sat down with us, so we always get some great interviews and uh, a little bit of access that maybe a little unfair advantage that we get a little access that some people don't get, but, and obviously, uh, my, my baby, my stick to hockey podcast. So, uh, if everybody uh, can check them out, I appreciate it. Real quick question. I wanted to ask you and I completely forgot you, you get to talk to, uh, Andrea Helfrich. Mm-hmm. She's single. I never asked her. All right. Well, it might be something you want to tweet her and ask her. Nah, she doesn't not, respond. Try not coming off a cre- as a creep. I actually <laughs> no. Nah, I DM'd her, and you know what? I well, I'm not going to say it on uh, air, but you, you did yeah, to come on the show. Ah, uh, sure, sure, he did to come on the show. <laughs> Didn't even get looked at, but I get a guy like Martita, Jason Martinez over here responds. Like, come on. I ain't a fucking matchmaker. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I Jim. Remember, I asked the man for any advice before I got married. He told me, no, don't do it. <laughs> was it good advice or what <laughs> <laughs> she's still awake i'll tell you later <laughs> uh, yeah jason i have one question for you um we've seen a lot of funny things this uh this year um uh, true or false you are the flyers emergency goalie false uh that was worth a shot that's uh, justin uh 
Cole Kowalski is his name. He played at uh, Colgate. I sit with him uh, in the press box, <laughs> and we talk about goaltending and geek out all the time. I'm too <laughs> old to be the e-bug, man. I'm I'm 47, boys. I still play beer league, but I'm too old to be. They bitched about a 42-year-old guy. Imagine throwing out a 47-year-old broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Holy yeah, shit, no. That'd be fucking amazing, man. That'd be a movie. Yeah, a shitty one. <laughs> <laughs> We about a movie with an unhappy ending. <laughs> yeah, we've been watching a movie for what eight years now. We finally get good hockey, so that's something I'd watch. I get some former NHLers and pro players playing in my beer league, but that's about it. Story, man. I, I, don't, I don't hold up well. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. So that's uh, pretty much it. That's the end of the episode. Uh, if you haven't heard by now. Uh, give a listen to last night's Metro report where I break down the entire Metro division uh, in the past week. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks again to Jason and Dan for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully about three more wins.